It's Friday, August 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The FDA has expedited its timetable for full approval of the Pfizer vaccine, hoping to have the process completed by early September. The move to full approval is expected to kick off more vaccination mandates, especially for hospital workers, college students, and federal workers. Sharon Lafreniere, investigative reporter at The New York Times, joins us for what to know. Next, Republicans in the House Foreign Affairs Committee have released a report focusing on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and zeroed in on the lab leak theory. Citing information about changes in safety protocols and requests for an overhaul of a hazardous waste treatment system at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the report says that the virus may have been accidentally released sometime prior to September 2019. Declan Garvey, associate editor at The Dispatch, joins us for this latest report. Finally, vaccine maker Moderna announced that their COVID shot is 93% effective at preventing infection as much as six months after your second dose. However, Moderna has also said that a booster shot might be needed before the winter. We're currently seeing hospital admissions and deaths rise about 40% since last week, but we're also seeing an uptick in people getting their shots. Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. That's not under consideration um, unless and until, until the FDA grants full licensure to one or more of the COVID vaccines. Um, I think that's going to happen relatively uh, soon. Joining us now is Sharon Lafreniere, investigative reporter at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Sharon. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about this uh, full approval for the Pfizer vaccine. The FDA is uh, moving up its timetable. They hope to give final approval for it by early next month. This move is expected to kick off a lot of vaccine mandates. Right now, we're seeing a lot of requirements in certain areas, you know, show us that you've been vaccinated or, you know, you have to deal with like weekly COVID testing. But this move, they expect, will kick off these mandates. You have to get the vaccine in order to work wherever you're going to be at for hospital workers, college students on the federal level, a lot of that. So, Sharon, what are we seeing with this uh, FDA move? We're doing it on an expedited basis, right? Pfizer asked for this approval back on May 7th, I think, and it typically takes about eight months. So they're doing it at about half the time that they would normally spend on an application like this and taking a bit of flack for that. But it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Like if they cut corners, then they'll be criticized for that. But on the other hand, they're getting some critics saying, you know, you should do it faster. I think they're doing it as fast as they can. And there's um, a bunch of hospitals, universities, even the Department of Defense that are waiting for this final approval in order to order people to get vaccinated. And the hope, I think, within the administration is that they could get a bump up maybe of like 5% in the number of people vaccinated. It will no longer be cast as an experimental vaccine, right? right? It will be a fully licensed, fully vetted vaccine. That's an important distinction right now, as you mentioned. Right now, we're under the emergency use authorization. And there was actually a Kaiser Family Foundation poll that came out recently that said 30% of unvaccinated people say they'd be more likely to get the shot if it had full approval. So if it moves the needle in the unvaccinated set, it's an important thing that needs to get done. That same poll, though, the pollsters said that 
a lot of the respondents didn't really understand the difference between an emergency authorization and full approval. So that could be a sort of proxy for their other concerns, like basically an excuse for not getting vaccinated. But I mean, you do hear people, many people saying this just seems experimental to me. And it seems like they did it too fast. And now the FDA will be able to say they reviewed literally hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. They have to find and verify real world data about how the vaccine has been working ever since they authorized it for emergency use in December. So they can't just rubber stamp what the data that the company submits. They have to verify it, right? right. Efficacy, immune responses, new infections, adverse reactions. They have to look at the manufacturing process again. It's, it's quite arduous. We're talking about Pfizer, obviously, you know, the FDA moving to try to give it full approval by early next month. What about the other vaccines that we have, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson? Uh, how are they on track for full approval? So Moderna has also submitted an application for full approval. They did in early June, but they have said they are still submitting data and they have not said when they're going to be done submitting their data. So they've been several weeks behind Pfizer all along. I don't know when they're going to finish their submission. And Johnson & Johnson, on that front, where we're, the next step is they were authorized on an emergency basis as a one-dose vaccine, but they've had this ongoing trial for two doses. So what we're waiting for is the results of that trial and what does that show about whether it's two-dose regimen is more effective than a one-dose. So as for full approval, they've said they want to apply sometime later this year. So right now we're talking about the full approval for the Pfizer vaccine, but you know, at the same time, there's been a lot made about booster shots. So that's the other thing that officials at the FDA and other agencies are looking at. What do we need for booster shots? Uh, obviously, in the immunocompromised and certain older sets, they say maybe they might need it first. But that's the ongoing discussion is, is what to do and then how to do it. Because if they say, yes, we need booster shots, I think the administration said that they want some type of unified plan of how we're going to do it to avoid more confusion for the public. Right, because you can think of, they, they can't go out and tell people, well, if you got Pfizer, you're going to need a booster shot. Moderna, we don't have the data yet, so we don't know. And J&J, you're totally up in the air. They can't do that logistically, and it would be a messaging nightmare to people, right? That It has to be laid out in sort of a logical, orderly way, like for all three vaccines. Whoever got these vaccines, this is what you are to do. And it's really a complicated issue because even though Pfizer's study showed that there was a drop in effectiveness from the sort of sky high rate of like 96% against symptomatic COVID in the first two months and then a decline to about 83% at four to six months, it still held steady at like 97% against severe disease. So some people are saying, well, look, that's not waning. The vaccines were never meant to prevent right. all mild and moderate cases. You know, they're meant to keep you out of the hospital. Sharon Lafreniere, investigative reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. It was just declassified that three of the researchers were actually hospitalized in November of 2019, with uh, uh, flu-like symptoms consistent with COVID. Joining us now is Declan Garvey, associate editor at The Dispatch. Thanks for joining us, Declan. Thank you so much for having me. 
Wanted to talk about this report on the origins of COVID-19. Republicans in the House Foreign Affairs Committee released a report this week that focused a lot more on this whole notion of the lab leak theory. Basically, we're looking at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and uh, basically the report says that things went amiss there, and that's where the virus got leaked out. So, Declan, walk us through some of what we're seeing in this report. This is an addendum to a report they already put out. As I mentioned, this focuses more on that lab leak theory part. So this is um, a report from House Republicans on the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, particularly Representative Michael McFall from Texas, who is the ranking member there. And this committee has been tasked over the past, really since the beginning of the pandemic, have been tasked with digging into research and available evidence as to the origins of the coronavirus. And obviously, you know, we've seen that for much of the first part of the pandemic, the first several months, the wet market or animal to human transmission theory was kind of the most common and most widely accepted version of events that has since shifted in recent months, not definitively one way or the other, but that a closer look at a leak from this laboratory is warranted. And so this addendum to the report that was released earlier this week It doesn't come to any definitive conclusions, and the Intelligence Committee has not officially come to any definitive conclusions, but it does point to a lot of evidence that is piling up and circumstantial and and otherwise that kind of points to this coming from a lab and that it emerged earlier than both we in the United States and the officials in in China at the time had made clear. And so we now have circumstantial evidence that as early as September of 2019, that this virus could have been escaping from the laboratory and and causing pain, you know, several months earlier than than China admitted. Tell us a little bit more about stuff that was going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where they, you know, they focus a lot on um, different things, air conditioning systems, renovations that they were doing there, things that weren't being done up to the books, basically. and, And then they think that that could have played a role in it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So the report details that the Wuhan Institute of Virology replaced its waste treatment systems and and central air conditioning systems. We're renovating them around the middle of of 2019, late summer, early fall. And that matches up pretty well with this timeline that not only this House Republican report points to, but former CDC director Robert Redfield several months ago mentioned that he believed that this was closer to the actual timeline, this late August, early September timeline. And and so that was happening there alongside the report includes satellite imagery showing that there was an uptick in attendance or, or uh, hospitalizations at hospitals near the Wuhan Virology Institute around this time. And then there are also reports of the 2019 Military World Games, which were held in Wuhan in October of 2019, that that actually could have been one of the earliest super spreader events. There were a lot of reports of athletes and competitors in those games coming down with what we now know of as COVID symptoms. Obviously, yeah. we didn't understand at the time. And, and so, and then they I, went home. Oh, and then they went home to a lot of the countries that had very early outbreaks. So you know, that's another possibility there. And finally, before we're done, though, we've been hearing a lot about gain of function research. What does the report say as far as that? And, you know, briefly, this is basically they modify bacteria or or, or viruses so they can be more contagious. This helps scientists study it more and see how they can prevent them from gaining hold. But this is one of the things that have been alleged to have been going on there at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. 
you know, this has been the subject of a lot of high profile blow ups in Congress between when public health experts like Anthony Fauci have been summoned to testify. A lot of Republicans on, on committees have asked a lot of very pointed questions about about this exact thing. Were, were the United States funding in any way this sort of gain of function research in Wuhan uh, that could have contributed to this? The report from House Republicans earlier this week it makes a point to call out that the head of China's version of the CDC and some of their top level public health officials were expressing some concerns about the safety of these labs back in the summer of 2019, particularly with respect to this gain-of-function research. And so, as you mentioned, this is something that we all should want to get to the bottom of it, not just Republicans, but something that Republicans will be pushing for. We've seen calls to subpoena Peter Daszak, who is the the president of EcoHealth Systems, a non-governmental organization that received a grant from the United States government. As part of this research, they've denied having direct involvement in gain-of-function research. Because China stonewalled for so long, the independent investigation, quote-unquote, the World Health Organization's investigation, it's going to be very difficult to come to any firm conclusions with any degree of certainty a year and a half, two years after all of this started. And so President Biden ordered the intelligence community to deliver him a report by the end of August to kind of address what is publicly known, what intelligence channels are saying about all of this. But there's very likely not going to be one particular smoking gun that's going to be like, aha, we can say without a shadow of a doubt that this is exactly what happened. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to piece all of that back together two years after the fact. Right. Um, and, and without and, and without the cooperation of China, it becomes even more difficult to get down to the answers that we need to get on it. So, yeah, we'll wait for that uh, other report that we expect to see. But for now, more highlights on this lab leak theory. Declan Garvey, associate editor at The Dispatch. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It maintains a really high level of protection and particularly against severe disease and the worst outcomes. So that was all good to see, but they did sound a warning note. I mean, they, like everyone else, are watching the Delta variant and the many things we're still learning about it. It has just such a high transmissibility and there's clearly still stuff we're learning about it. And they've been preparing a booster strategy. Joining us now is Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about a couple things. First off, we got some good news from Moderna. They said that their shot is still 93% effective after six months of getting your second dose. So after uh, six months of being fully vaccinated, the protection for that remains very high. But they did say that uh, we still might need a booster shot, maybe before winter time. So this is some of the latest info that they were giving us. What else did we hear from uh, Moderna? Well, that was about it. You know, we haven't seen scientific publications of this data, but yeah, their vaccine, if you recall, started out at 94% effective uh, in the first round of data that we saw last winter. And the good news is that it maintains a really high level of protection and particularly against severe disease and the worst outcomes. So that was all Good to see, but they did sound a warning note. I mean, they, like everyone else, are watching the Delta variant and the many things we're still learning about it. It has just such a high transmissibility 
And there's clearly still stuff we're learning about it. And they've been preparing a booster strategy. So basically a third dose that could be given at least six months after full vaccination. So they are doing all the science to show those boosters work as intended and that they're safe. And it'll be up to public health officials and the government and scientists to decide when boosters are necessary and also who gets them. It's very possible that subpopulations who are at higher risk of severe disease might be in the first round, for example. But we still don't know the precise parameters of who will get boosted and when. They've been uh, studying three different boosters. Do we know anything about those or are they just... Are they tailored to the the Delta variant at all, or are they just different mixtures of the original shot that they were given out? The three that they tested, because they began these tests before Delta was really a concern, one is a third shot at half the dose of the original. Another is tailored against another variant that first emerged in South Africa called Beta. And actually, that was one of kind of the scariest variants for a lot of scientists because it was able to get around immunity better. And that actually hasn't been true of Delta, at least in a lab dish. And then the third one was a what's called a bivalent vaccine, which is like a combo of the original formulation and the beta one. They're working up a Delta-specific one, but this is something we've seen also with Pfizer's data. It looks like a third shot of the original does really well against the variants we know about now. So there's a thinking that they and also Pfizer have expressed that the boosting strategy, at least for this round of the battle against COVID, is going to be just like a kind of a straight-up third shot. All of this, of course, needs to go before regulators and be approved, but that's kind of the thinking. Unfortunately, we're seeing hospital emissions and deaths rise by about 40% in the past week. I mean, the Delta variant has been just making its way through, mostly obviously in the unvaccinated population. The Delta variant definitely has taken a lot of scientists by surprise. Everyone expects variants to emerge, but this one is so highly transmissible. And there's still stuff we don't understand about it, um, even though, I mean, it's only been around really, you know, on the order of months. So it's definitely concerning. It definitely makes it more urgent to get vaccinated. It's clear that vaccines are kind of our best defense against this variant and any others. And so that has kind of made that message far more urgent, especially with schools starting to go back into session and people starting to kind of mingle. And, you know, I guess with the fall coming up, a lot of worries about if we go back to normal too quickly, we could just give this virus another chance. Health officials did say that there is one little bright spot in all of this. Obviously, you know, it's not good that hospitalizations and all that stuff is going up, but they are seeing more Americans getting vaccinated, maybe because they've been seeing a lot of the bad news and or maybe they know more people that are getting infected. But we are starting to see some big jumps in certain states that had pretty low vaccination rates. Yeah, that's a great thing. I mean, hopefully people are persuaded by what they're seeing around them. Also, a lot of um, employers have indicated they're going to mandate vaccines. So that's going to probably have an effect on vaccination rates. So hopefully we'll build a lot of immunity in the community for going forward. Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at 
Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.